I'm preaching this morning one of the most important messages that I'll ever bring in my life. I don't know outside of the gospel to unsaved that I could ever preach a more important message than the one that I'm going to bring primarily to Christians today. And yet at the same time, I I have this concern that it is so different from our cultural uh, feelings and thoughts today that this message may be hard to receive. And if you hear this, uh, and hear it successfully, you'll have to hear it with spirit ears. I do want to preach this morning on the subject of life in the Spirit. And this is not the only Sunday that I'll be preaching on this. I'll be preaching for several weeks on life in the Spirit of God. Let me begin by telling you the two worst things that could happen to you. I'm not trying to begin on a negative note, but I do want to be honest with you. The two worst things that could happen to you. The first one, obviously, is for you to die and go to hell. That is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Nothing is as bad as dying and going to hell. May we never forget that. There is a real place called hell. The Bible tells us that it's a place where the fire does not stop, the worms are there, and the people who go there live in torment and torture forever. That's what Jesus Christ said. Someone could say, well, I don't believe in hell. Then Jesus Christ, in your mind, has to be a liar because he said more about hell than anyone. So if, if you're right and there is no hell, and Jesus is a liar, then obviously we're wasting our time in here today. We may as well turn out the lights and go home. But Jesus is not a liar. He's a truth teller. And there is a place called hell. And people go there. It's the worst thing that could happen to you is to die and go to hell. Nothing you could. I've heard great stories of, of sadness. People have told me here about stories of abuse. And I, I hate abuse. And I, I think abuse is a, of any kind, especially physical abuse or sexual abuse. Abuse should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And I'm always heartbroken when I hear a story like that. But it's worse to die and go to hell. People have told me about uh, terrible physical diseases that they've contracted that have restricted them and caused them great pain. And I'm always sad when I hear about that, but it's worse to die and go to hell. And people have told me about heartbreak that they've experienced with family members and friends and, and employment. And that's sad, but it's worse to die and go to hell. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to die and go to hell. Because no matter how bad a life you might have down here, if you're God's child, when you close your eyes in this life, you will open them in the presence of Almighty God. And you will never know pain again. You'll never know sorrow again. And you'll be with God forever. So whatever you experience here, if it's not what you like, if you're God's child, you're bound for glory. But if you're not God's child, then no matter what happens to you in this life, it could never begin to compare with the horrors of hell. Do you know why it would be such a shame for you to go to hell? It's so senseless. It's so unnecessary. For one thing, God did not make hell for you. The Bible says that God made hell for Satan and his demons. God did not intend for you to go there. He does not want you to go there. And beyond that, he has not invited you to go there. The great black preacher E.V. Hill from Watts says, you shouldn't go to hell because you shouldn't go where you haven't been invited to go. That's a great line. (laughs) The only place God has ever invited you to go is heaven. He has given you that invitation time and time again in his word. All the way from Genesis to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, God wants you to know that you are invited to go to heaven. If you're holding a Bible in your hand, you have God's invitation, personal invitation to you to go to heaven. That's in God's word. He wants you there so much that on the last page of your Bible, in the last paragraph, just one more time, God wanted you to know that you have been invited. Revelation 22, verse 17. 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. On the last page of your Bible, in the last paragraph, just one more time, God says, don't go to hell, come to heaven, you've been invited. By the way, wouldn't it be a shame to go to hell with an invitation to heaven in your hand? Now, let me ask you a question openly here this morning. How many of you have accepted God's invitation to go to heaven? Would you raise your hand, please, for a moment? You have. You have accepted God's invitation to go to heaven. All right. If you have, you can never go to hell. No matter what happens to you, even if you slip and fall, you can still never go to hell. Now then, let me talk to you who just raised your hands. Because it is possible, though, for you to experience the second worst thing that can happen to you. And without judging just on the Word of God and on my experience, I really believe that although when I asked you how many of you are going to heaven, nearly everyone raised his or her hand, my fear is this other bad thing that can happen is happening to a lot of us, if not most of us. The second worst thing that can happen in your life is to live out your Christian life in your flesh. I don't mean in the skin of your body. I'm talking about to think your thoughts, perform your actions, craft your attitudes based on your carnal nature and what your carnal nature is telling you to do. That's what I've been preaching to you about this summer. That's the, the basis for this series, Spirit Filled Family Living. We learned early on the principle. The Bible says if we sow or if we plant If we sow to our flesh, we will reap a harvest of death. If we sow or plant to the Spirit of God, we will reap a harvest of life. Now here's what's tragic. From what I can see, most American Christians sow to the flesh so much. They make such a habit of it that they live in the flesh. The Bible talks about living in the Spirit and living in the flesh. What I draw from that is if you sow continuously to your flesh, you are what the Bible speaks of as living in your flesh, living after your flesh, walking in the flesh. On the other hand, if you sow to the Spirit continuously, you are living in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The tragedy is that so many Christians are using up the time that they have on this earth, the time that God gives them totally in the zone of their flesh. Isn't that what you see? I'm not trying to get after us that hard today, but I do want us to know that this is, this is pretty well my observation. I see Christians giving in to their temptation, and temptations. They live lives of self-will. And by the way, I am convinced that a lot of the reason why American Christians are so bad about this is that we are so affluent. If you, have, if you have money, then you can determine what you're going to do. And when you can determine what you want to do, that's, that's self-will. And because we are so well off, that's a problem in our American Christian culture. By the way, there are some great works of God going on in the world. I just don't see much of it happening in America. And somebody could say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm not rich. You know, rich is like those CEOs who... Who, who, you know, who have the big houses down in Florida and, and the movie stars who live in L.A. Friend, compared to the rest of the world, we are all rich this morning. If you don't believe it, leave America and see. We're all rich. And because we are rich, we can determine what we want to do. 
Where we go, how long we stay, what we do while we are there. I see American Christians giving into temptations, living lives of self-will. They can't take admonition. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what I should do. And then so many Christians are soaking up the world's message. I mean, they're watching television. They're, going, they're watching the movies continuously. They're drafting in the world's message, but they get a trickle from God. Maybe a little bit on Sunday morning. Well, let's get real. There's a lot, there are a lot of us here this morning who are right there. I mean, we are walking after our flesh. We know the words. We dress up real nice on Sunday morning. And, and if people get into a discussion about religion at the office, and we can chime in and tell everybody we witnessed at the office. But truth be told, most of the time, most of us are living in the flesh. You say, Pastor, that's a strong indictment for a preacher to make. Let me tell you something. According to statistics, nearly half of Americans claim to be born-again, Bible-believing Christians. If they were, America wouldn't be where it is this morning. And beyond that, those of us who are really born again, even if it's just 10% of America, if we were walking in the Spirit, this would be a different nation. I hear somebody say, okay, pastor, you're preaching today just to beat me over the head with that. No, if you're living after your flesh, I just want you to know how sorry I am for you. Because you're missing out. You're missing something that God wants you to. Why do you think God saved us? Do you think God saved us to go back and live the kinds of lives that we lived before we were saved? No, the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that brought us to life spiritually when we were born again. And we were meant to live in that power. I just am preaching to all of you Christians who are sitting out there having a suspicion that something is missing. I want to confirm your suspicion. Something is missing in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. The last thing in the world I want to do is to lay a guilt trip on you if you're living after your flesh. I'm preaching this morning so that you will know that there is a life of power out there. There's a life of joy. There's a life of peace. There's a life of fulfillment. And not only, listen to me, not only is it available to you, those of you who raised your hands, you said you were Christians this morning, not only is it available to you, it's your heritage. It's your inheritance. It belongs to you. Isaiah talked about this kind of living in Isaiah 54, verse 17, when he said, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Hey, that's the kind of life God wants you to live. Well, as you're living your Christian life, Satan comes against you. It isn't going to matter because God's going to give you the victory. Even if somebody tries to slander you or speak against you, it's not going to prosper. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because you are living in the spirit of God. That's your heritage. That's what Isaiah said. It's your heritage. It belongs to you. I've said already it's a life of power. It's a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of, ful of fulfillment. But the best thing about living by the Spirit of God is the person that you are with. Listen, when you live with the flesh, that's a painful life. When you're living after the flesh, doing what your flesh wants you to do, that's a very painful way to live. But when you walk with the Spirit, that's a very blessed way to live because of who you're with. Imagine if you were in a parade, the president was coming by, and all of a sudden his limo stopped beside you and the door opened and the voice said, get in. From that point on, you're riding with the president. That'd be big, wouldn't it? You'd tell all your friends about that. But imagine what it's like to go through life riding with the Spirit of God. 
Every place you go, the Spirit of God opens doors, brings favor, gives blessing. Why? Because you're with Him. I've never been rich and I've always been a little backward, but I've got to do some exciting things when I've been with certain people. I remember playing golf in Andrews Air Force Base with a three-star general. I I, I told the early service, I'll never forget driving into the parking lot at Andrews Air Force Base. You know, there's a parking space for the, uh, I think, for the um, uh, chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. And then there's secretary of the different branches. And then it moves down to the five-star generals, four-star generals, three-star, and goes all the way down. You can see the little emblems on the parking space. Most of them are empty because those guys are not there. They're all doing the business of the government. Amen. But I'll never forget what a, what, a, what a thrill that was to go in there with that general because every place I went, he would say, he's with me. And I mean, we got to do some neat things. We actually got to tee off ahead of several groups who were waiting on the first tee box. And the general said, he's with me. Well, isn't it great to go through life with the Spirit of God saying, he or she's with me? That's the kind of life that I'm preaching about this morning. You're going through life with the very presence of God. That's what makes this life so valuable. But if it is so wonderful, if the Spirit-filled life is so wonderful, why are so few Christians living in the Spirit? Well, with some, it's a choice. There, there may be some of you, you may hear me preach on, the, on life in the Spirit, and you walk out of here and you say, I don't want that. That's not for me. It sounds too tough. I'd have to quit giving in to my flesh, and I enjoy what I'm doing too much. I'm going to make a choice not to do it. Some people do that. Paul wrote about a young man who was an assistant of his in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And that's how it is with some people. But I can't believe that's why most of us don't walk in the Spirit. Frankly, I think it's just a lack of knowledge. Consider with me for a moment. Isn't one of Satan's biggest tools to keep people from being saved, keeping them blind to the gospel? Doesn't it then follow that he would try to keep us blind as God's people to the kind of life God wants us to live? Folks, let me tell you, I am preaching my heart out this summer because I think that there are many of you who are crying out for Holy Spirit power. I mean, there is something, someone missing in your life and you want to serve God and you want to please God, but you're not where you want to be. You're not living an overcoming life and you're crying out for something. I want you to know that there is a life that is available to you and beyond it being available to you, it's your inheritance. Satan would like to keep you blind to it. Messiah is a growing church and people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some may come from a liberal church. Some of you may have come to Messiah. You've been in church and they didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. Others have come from Bible teaching churches, but they don't want to mention the Holy Spirit because it might sound charismatic if they did. Folks, that's the work of Satan. And it's time we expose it for what it is. So in the next few weeks, I want to preach to you about life in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What would it mean to our relationships? What would it mean to your marriage? What would it mean to your friendships? It's going to be powerful stuff. Here we go this morning. First thing you need to know about life in the Spirit is in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. Just a short statement from the first part of that verse. So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. First thing you need to know. Listen, church, heads up. Life in the Spirit is possible for you. Every one of you who raised your hands, if you raised your hand this morning, life in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit is possible for you. 
I know that's true because you have been instructed by God to live in the Spirit. God would not instruct you to do something that is not possible. Are you saved? Then you can live in the Spirit. Say it in your spirit. Say it in your heart. I can live in the Spirit. It is possible. You may not be walking after the Spirit, but you can live in the Spirit. It is possible. That means, think about this, God expects you to live in the Spirit. Actually, the Spirit-filled life is the norm. That is what God expects from His family. Then it's up to you to make the choice to live in the Spirit. I've met a lot of people, you know, who had the idea that somehow they were going to see a vision or God was going to ride it in the sky or there was going to be a bolt out of the blue and God was going to hit them with something and then at that point they were going to be Spirit-filled. Hey, it's a choice. You say, Pastor, I've been waiting. Well, stop waiting. Life in the Spirit is possible for you, and God wants you to begin today. The next thing that we need to say, see is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. If you want to live in the Spirit this morning, there is something you must know. Your flesh and my flesh and God are enemies. Do we understand that this morning? Our flesh and God are enemies. Now that's a deep thought. I don't have the eloquence or the mind to preach it, but let me do the best I can for a moment. Do you and I understand that living within our body is a force that is God's enemy? Now, I've met many Christians, you know, who would struggle with something. They'd come to me and say, Pastor, I had the most horrible thought. I don't know how a Christian could have a thought like that. I must not be saved. Or a Christian would slip and do something, fall into some sin, and they would come back to me and say, Pastor, I can't believe that a Christian could do that. I must not be saved. Do you understand that within you, you have something that is the enemy of God? That's your flesh. And that's why you must undergo a change before you can go to heaven. Many Christians are living in ignorance about this. And beyond that, what we need to understand is that because our flesh and the Spirit of God are enemies, we can't live in the flesh and live in the Spirit at the same time. Too many Christians, I think, are like a guy in the cafeteria line. You know, you see somebody go through a cafeteria line, pause for a moment, say, well, give me some of this and give me some of that. I think a lot of Christians get up in the morning and say, well, I have some of the flesh over here and a little bit of the Spirit over here. You can't do that. Because God's Spirit and our flesh... Our enemies. There is no hybrid living. And for every child, listen, let me just start off from every one of us is either saved or lost. Amen. Do we understand that this morning? You can't be saved and lost at the same time. Just as you can't be saved and lost at the same time, you can't be walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit at the same time. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. You're either filled with the spirit or filled with the flesh. Why? Because they're enemies. They're enemies. If we live in the Spirit, the flesh has to go. Paul talked about crucifying the flesh. Verse 16, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So that's the point. If you live in the Spirit, the flesh has to go. On the other hand, if you live in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is pushed aside. Romans 8 verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. As a pastor who talks to many people, do you know what I fear? I am concerned that so many Christians are so in love with this world, so much in their flesh, that the question that they are asking 
is how can I get the Holy Spirit to sign off on what my flesh wants to do? If I could sum up American Christianity in the year 2002 and paint with a broad brush, that is what I see. How can I do what my flesh wants to do, but put a spiritual spin on it? I mean, the whole, we, we, I don't know how much you know about this, but we live in the era of, of church growth or church marketing. And the experts tell churches to find out what people want and give them what they want so they can get them in their back doors. That's just one finger of, of, of an attitude that has become pervasive in the Christian world. How can we satisfy our flesh and put a spiritual spin on it? I mean, think about this. And I'm not trying to be hard today, but, you know, some, some profligate singer or Hollywood character who lives a life of debauchery can come out and say a good word about God and the average person. Christian goes wild about that. Well, look at that. They said something nice about God. It fits this culture of doing what the flesh wants to do, but as long as we tack a little Jesus saves on it, it's okay. But it's not okay. The Bible says the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So then since it's up to us and God's not going to hit us with a bolt of lightning, how do we live in the Spirit? Well, I'm going to get started today. Actually, this morning's message is just an introduction. But how do we get started living in the Spirit? Question. Do you ever not like yourself very much? Think with me for a moment. Do you ever just not like yourself very much? Maybe not every day, but some days. Do you ever get frustrated with your failures as a Christian and you just get to the place where you say, I don't like who I am very much. That's where a lack of knowledge gets us. Because remember who we are? We have the old flesh that we inherited from Adam. We'll have it till we die or until the rapture. We have the Spirit of God. If you don't like yourself, is it the Spirit of God you don't like? Of course not. It's our flesh. So we understand that it's our flesh that is the, the, the battleground. And we must also remember who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't like yourself, it's the flesh that you're dealing with. And here's how Satan works in our lives. Often what he does is he, 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 doesn't, he keeps us from remembering that we have two natures. And he indicts you with the idea that you are your old self. You'll always be your old self. He identifies you with your flesh. Friend, let me give you the answer this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read for a few moments and then we'll be through. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility. Look at that. The futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught of him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful natures or desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So how do you start the spirit-filled life? Number one, put off the old self. 
Number two, put on the new self, the Spirit of God. In verse 17, God is saying, in fact, the Bible says God insists on it. If you are saved, stop living like a lost person. If you're saved, stop thinking like a lost person. Now, why do, we, why do we stop living like a lost person? Immediately, God gives us five disastrous characteristics of the unsaved. There are five reasons you don't want to live like a lost person. Verse 17, their thinking is futile. Futile thinking. What does the word futile mean? Futile means you're going to lose. There's nothing you can do about it, so nothing matters. That is the thinking of our world system. That's the thinking of the world. Nothing matters. Nothing's going to change. Verse 18, darkened understanding. That means their spiritual lights are off. They just can't process the things of the Spirit of God. Also, verse 18, separated from the life of God. That's a lost person. Just like a branch that's been cut off a tree, left to die, left, left to, uh, to dry up in the sun, separated from the life. Verse 18, ignorance as a result of a hardened heart. Verse 19, inability to sense anything spiritual. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's an unsaved person. And God is saying, if you are saved, there is a different kind of life for you. Why do you want to go back and live a kind of life that's marked by futile thinking, darkened understanding, separation from the life of God, ignorance as a result of a hardened heart, inability to sense anything spiritual. If you're God's child, why live like that? And so that's why the Bible tells us to put off the old self. The old self is who we were before we were saved, our carnal nature and what is in it. So how do you know what to put off? What is the old self, the old nature. Back in the book of Galatians, I'm not going to ask you to turn there. There's a lengthy list of 16 things that are part of our old nature. Now, I have paraphrased them for you. They're in your bulletin. They'll be up on the IMAG screens. I have paraphrased them for you in very simple language so that you will know what the Bible tells us to get rid of. Number one, sex outside of marriage. The Bible says put it off. Don't. Don't do that. That's what the unsaved do. Put it off. You say, well, we're going to get married. The Bible says it's wrong. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. There is no good reason for sex outside of marriage. It's adultery. It's fornication. Put it off. There are Christians today who are engaging in that. The Bible tells us that's futile thinking. That's darkened understanding. That's loss of spiritual sensitivity. That's how lost people live. Put it off. Sex outside of marriage. Number two, lustful thoughts. You say, well, Pastor, I haven't committed adultery or fornication, but lustful thoughts are on the list. Lack of self-control in matters of sex, either in action or, or thought. By the way, this is God's list. This is the top thing on his list. Putting anything ahead of God. Now, how many of us skated through the first three and didn't have that much problem? Amen. You know, he said, well, okay, sex outside of marriage, doing fine there. Lustful thoughts, doing pretty good there. Lack of self-control, matter of sex, doing pretty good there. Putting anything ahead of God. Ouch. Amen. Putting anything ahead of God. That's a work of the flesh. Turning your mind over to any controlling power other than God. That would be witchcraft, drugs, anything. Hatred or bigotry. Not getting along with other people. Jealousy. Temper fits. I just put this one in quotes so we'd understand the attitude. I want my way. Or don't try to correct me. I don't have to listen to anybody unless I choose to. Dissension. Gossip with the per 
purpose of getting back at somebody. Envy, drunkenness, the party lifestyle. Now, the Bible is clear. A Christian can live this way. A Christian could commit sex outside of marriage. A Christian could think lustful thoughts. A Christian could have lack of control in matters of sex. A Christian can put something ahead of God. A Christian can yield his mind to some other power other than God. A Christian can hate. A Christian can not get along with other people. A Christian can be jealous. A Christian can throw a temper fit. A Christian can want his way. A Christian can uh, say, don't try to correct me. I don't have to listen to anybody I don't want to. A Christian can be uh, a part of a dissension. A Christian can gossip. A Christian can get drunk. A Christian can go to and live the party lifestyle. Yes, that's true. But you weren't meant to live that way. That's not what you were saved for. Listen to the sweet and gentle words of verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Hey, when you accepted Jesus... Do you, did you think he was on this list? I mean, did you think that Jesus was about sex outside of marriage? Is Jesus about lustful thoughts? Is Jesus about pride? Is Jesus about hatred? Is Jesus about temper fits? I mean, who, who do you think you accepted when you received Jesus? He's not about those things. And so because he's not about those things, the Bible says put off that way of living. You didn't know Christ, come to know Christ that way. We have these three commands. I've already mentioned the first one. These are in Ephesians 4, through 24. Three commands that God gives us. The first one is put off the old self. And by the way, I like the, the word self there, that translation. Put off the old self. See, I, my responsibility in life, if I'm going to walk in the spirit, the old Mark Hoover, the unsaved part of me that, was, that I was born with, that wants to do all the things on that list or some of the things on that list, I have got to now, as a child of God, put that person off. Take it off like a jacket and say, I don't want to be that kind of person. And by the way, could I, could I insist one more time that that is a command and we are responsible to obey that command. You say, well, maybe God will just change me. No, God says, you put off the old self. You put that person off. And then the second command is be made new. Okay, do something for a moment. Put yourself in my shoes. You're getting ready for this sermon, and you're seeing these commands just as I saw them. How would you distinguish the first command from the second command? The first command is to put off the old self. The second command is to be made new. Now, if you're me and you're getting ready to preach, what do you see there? Where's the, where's the, what's the distinction there? If God tells me to put off the old self, that is an action that I must perform because he told me to do it. If God says, be made new, I understand that's not an action that I perform. The making new is an action that God must perform. So the command for me is to allow what God wants to do. God wants to make me a new person. God wants to make you a new person. By the way, isn't it great to know that you can be a new person? For those of you who've just about given up on living the Christian life, isn't it great to know that you can be a new person? God wants to give you a new identity. It's up to us to allow it, to accept it, and to believe who we are in God. And then finally, putting on the new self. That is life in the Spirit. And again, I know I've only given you an introduction today. We've only gotten started. But as I said, the worst thing that can happen to you is to die and go to hell. After that, if you get saved... The worst thing that can happen to you is as a child of God to live out your life and not be filled with God's Spirit.
But the good news is you can. It can happen today. Just, you remember when you got saved? You remember how you just surrendered your will to God's will? I mean, you didn't know everything you were getting into. You just maybe prayed by your mother or you prayed by maybe a youth pastor or a pastor. Or maybe you were just by yourself as I was, but you made a decision and you said, I am going to surrender my will to the will of God and invite Jesus to be my savior. And by the way, if you've never done that, I hope you'll do that in the next five minutes. I'll be here in a moment. I'll beat you if you'll come. Just say, I need to be saved. Christian, walking in the spirit is about as simple. It's us surrendering our will to the will of God. It's taking that old man, pushing him aside, that old self, and inviting God to have his way in our lives. You say, well, what will happen to me if I surrender the Spirit, if I'm filled with the Spirit? Am I going to start jumping pews and speaking in tongues? No. When you're filled with the Spirit, you begin to live like Jesus Christ. And you have powerful living. And on top of that, no matter what Satan throws at you, God gives you the grace and the strength and the power to rise above it. I know that's true. Because the times in my life when I've been sure I've been filled with the Spirit, yes, I've had the attacks of Satan, but I'll tell you, I have felt and known the power of God. Would you like to feel that today? Would you like to have it? You can. It's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. Stand with me, please. Father, I thank you for what we've learned today. God, we need this so much. We need to live in your spirit. Father, the flesh is strangling out so many good things that you want to bring into our lives. And I pray right now that you will help us to win this battle by yielding to your Holy Spirit. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never accepted Jesus Christ, may today be the day of salvation. And Father, if there's someone here today that you've led to become part of our church family, may they come today in confidence knowing that you've led them to be part of this great family of faith. Lord, there may be some with a burden here today that has nothing to do with the service, but they just have something that they want to lay before you. Would you hear their prayer and meet their needs? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.